We're going to read from God's Word together now. We've got two readings this evening, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. So we're going to turn to 2 Chronicles 26. And first of all, this evening, 2 Chronicles 26. And then we'll turn to Mark chapter 1, and we'll be concluding Mark chapter 1 uh, this evening. But 2 Chronicles 26 is where we'll read from first. This is what God's Word says. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army, ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers, as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Masaiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defences, so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honoured by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, 
leprosy broke out on his forehead. Zariah the chief priest and all the other priests looked at him. They saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. And then we turn to Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, and reading through to the end of the chapter. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, your hands made us and formed us. Please would you give us understanding to learn your commands. Speak to us now by your spirit. We pray that we might understand what you have to say to us. That we might li live for you. And that we might live as you command us to. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been kept from uh, approaching someone? 
there's somebody uh, famous going by you you're in a room uh, or in a in a place where there's just extra security or there's bodyguards and you just can't get up close uh, to someone i wonder if you've ever been in that kind of uh, situation. Well, a few years ago, we were at the, the Royal Welsh Show in Biltwell, so we were uh, working on an outreach stand with the Evangelical Movement of Wales, and during our lunch break, we were allowed a little wander around the stores, when all of a sudden, we were told to stay uh, where we were. We weren't allowed to move, and we were a bit puzzled, and we were, why is that? And that was because the now king, then prince, uh, Charles, was walking past, and he was talking to some store uh, holders, and we weren't allowed to, to move where we were. It was quite the operation going on. There was uh, security uh, all around, guys with earpieces in, and there was no way that we could get up close and speak uh, to him. We just took a little photo from a distance, look who we bumped into today, and then we carried on uh, with our day. And this evening, I, I want us to see that this does not apply to Jesus Christ. Even the one who feels on the edge of society, even the one who feels on the outside looking in, even the outcast can come to Jesus Christ and can find welcome with him. This morning we heard Jesus tell us very clearly the purpose of his ministry, that he had come to preach, to proclaim the good news concerning himself of forgiveness of sins through faith in him. Yes, he comes with great power and authority uh, to heal sickness and to drive out demons. He is full of compassion. But his ministry is one where he must preach the good news to all who will hear. He prioritized prayer, we saw, as he went out to a solitary place to, to spend time alone with his father. Because he knew how vital this was for his ministry in the context of of opposition and in his human weakness that his relationship with the Father was paramount. We saw that, didn't we, that Jesus made the time to pray. He knew he had to spend that time in communion with his Father. And if that was true of him, well, then it must certainly be true of us. We have a great calling as the people of God here in Bethel, we're called to, to follow in the footsteps of our Saviour. And as we saw this morning, to prioritise those things that he did. And so we have something important to do. Because there is a, a great need in our town to be met. There are men and women and boys and girls who do not know Jesus Christ. And they are lost without him. And so we must prioritise in our lives the priority of prayer and preaching. And that's because Jesus did. Individually, we do that, praying for the work of the gospel, asking the Lord for opportunities to not necessarily preach like I am now, but to, to quietly and to faithfully witness to friends and family and colleagues and neighbours, and then together as a fellowship to prioritise, praying together for the work of the gospel, to make prayer a great priority for us as a church, to come and to pray. And we'll do that together whenever we can, whenever there is opportunity week by week to pray for our lost locality that are in such need of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must do that. We saw that this morning because Jesus prioritised it. No matter those dramatic things we've read of again this evening that were, were going on in Capernaum that day, the priority of prayer, the priority of preaching uh, here in this building, no matter what else might be going on, the dramatic things, we must support the work of the gospel here and the outreach uh, going on across uh, the world. We've got to be so confident uh, 
uh, to make known the good news message of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw and have seen so far in Mark's gospel, as he's preaching the forgiveness of sins in himself, the way and the truth and the life, because it is only through him that men and women can be forgiven, and that is ultimately what we're seeking to do here, to point people uh, to him. And so we saw something of that priority this morning uh, in the Lord uh, Jesus, those things he prioritized, and I don't know about you, but as we read that, it convicts me. I know that I fall short in these things. I need to come back and to have my priorities readjusted and realigned. But it encourages me also. We're not left without direction here in God's word, are we? We're shown the way that Jesus walked. And you and I are simply called to follow him this evening, to prioritize what he did and to follow the example of serving others. And so now then, this evening, as we conclude chapter one, we we see Jesus meet uh, a leper. In verses 40 to 45, and as we read that there, we understand that Jesus is doing what he says said to his disciples he would do. He had gone to the nearby villages to continue on in this mission. And as he does this, he meets this man. And my prayer for us this evening is that we too would meet with Jesus Christ through his word as he speaks to us by his spirit. And so there's just two things that I want us to hear Uh, Tonight, I want us to hear Jesus say to all of us uh, two things that are for you as you go into this new week. And the first is found in verses 40 to 42. And it is that Jesus is willing to cleanse you. Jesus is willing to cleanse you. Jesus is continuing on in his ministry, his outreach strategies to, to go on to the other villages. And as he does so, we read in verse 40 that a man with leprosy came to him which we might just take as fact and move on but in many ways that few words is quite the understatement really this is such an incredibly provocative encounter which we might not fully take uh, understand Uh, but that's because of what it meant to have leprosy in the days of Jesus leprosy was and it still is a nasty skin condition in those days, the word was used for a whole range of skin diseases, some of which were very contagious, so much so that there's, there's two whole chapters dedicated to what you should do with those who have such skin diseases in Leviticus 13 and 14. Uh, people would have to wear torn clothes, cover their faces. They'd have to cry out unclean whenever somebody came near them. And more striking is that they must live alone. They must live outside the camp. They cannot live inside a town or a city anymore. Which helps us to realize that to have leprosy, to have a skin disease like this, it wasn't merely a medical condition. It was a social sentence, which was for the protection of a community. You can understand why they did it in those days, I suppose, because they wanted to stop the spreading of a terrible disease. And yet it was so incredibly strict, wasn't it, on the person uh, who had it. It meant that life for a leper was pretty grim and they literally had to live out of touch from the rest of society. And the people of Israel observed those regulations very strictly. So much so that even when one of their kings, King Uzziah, which we read of earlier in 2 Chronicles 26, to understand something of what it was like in those days, he was struck down with leprosy because of his pride and his unfaithfulness to the Lord. He was a king and yet he was shut away in a separate house until he died he was excluded from the temple of the lord medicine's moved on now 
we don't do things like that anymore. But in those days, that's what it was like. He was a king, and yet he was an outcast. He was not allowed to come near. And that's the point. This disease robbed the sufferer of the life that they once knew, their job, their family, their community, their fellowship. It was all taken away as a result of this disease. So difficult was it to deal with leprosy that the rabbis at the time believed that cleansing someone of leprosy was as difficult as raising someone from the dead. It's not the kind of encouraging report you want from your local GP, that, is it? Lepers were literally viewed as the walking, living dead. I suppose we have a little bit of understanding of what this man went through compared to five years ago, don't we? We lived through COVID lockdowns where we were separated from loved ones. We were out of touch from some people. But even then, we could still, after a little while, we could meet up with some in certain ways. And ultimately, we know it was for a limited period of time. It didn't, thankfully, last forever. But for this man, his whole life, from the moment he became ill, changed. He was sentenced to isolation, never again to know the hug of a relative, unless he was to experience some miraculous healing. Now, why do I mention all of that? Well, I do it because that detail helps us to get a sense of just how big a thing this was. That the leper really was an outcast who, humanly speaking, at this time, had no hope. What a weight that was to carry on your shoulders every day of your life. Imagine if you were in this man's shoes and everything that you once knew had just been taken away from you. Is it any surprise then that he comes to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This leper goes against every rule in the book. Uh, He risks it all that he might possibly be healed of this terrible disease. Nothing was going to stop him from coming to Jesus that day. And so think of how hopeless his life was. His situation isn't going to change for him if he stays as it is. There are only two instances of leprosy being healed by God in the whole of the Old Testament. So this chap knows it's not an everyday chance that you get to possibly find healing from such a long and a deep affliction. And you would think that he had heard of what Jesus can do by now. It's been a hive of activity in this first chapter. Maybe he has even seen what Jesus can do from a distance. And he seems quite confident, doesn't he? He says, you can make me clean. He knows Jesus can cleanse him. The only question he has is whether Jesus is willing to cleanse him. He doesn't doubt the ability of Jesus, only his willingness. This leper really believes that Jesus can do something about his sorry state. His only doubt is whether Jesus will do something. Will Jesus be willing to heal him of his disease? Well, any careful, observant Jew would have got out of there. They'd have run as fast as they could to protect themselves from this man. But here again this evening, we see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Because instead of recoiling away, what does Jesus do? He reached out his hand and touched the man. Jesus doesn't run away from the leper, but he turns towards him. And with a touch from Jesus, the social and the physical and the spiritual barriers that had existed up to that point, they're broken down. The rules say that this should mean that now Jesus is unclean. 
But the reverse is true. As Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Jesus is not polluted by this leper and his disease. Instead, the leper is cleansed by the authoritative cleansing word of Jesus. But there's a detail here that we we must not miss. Do you notice that Mark records for us that Jesus was indignant? He was indignant. Jesus was outraged. Now, maybe your Bible says that Jesus was filled with compassion. So which is it? Because aren't those things a little bit different? Well, they're actually not that uh, far apart when we consider why Jesus would be indignant. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was uncontrollably angry with this leper for coming near him. And so he heals him in anger just to get him out of the way. No, we're told that Jesus willingly healed him. And so Jesus being indignant and what he saw with his own eyes is most probably because he was indignant at the misery of this leper. He saw the effects of the fall here before him in, in full view. Here was the impact of sin in a very real way coming into the world. It was so tangible. It had afflicted this man and it had changed things for the worse in a way that, humanly speaking, was irreversible. This man was isolated and cut off. And so much was the compassion of Jesus that we've seen in Mark's gospel today. No wonder he was indignant at the suffering and the affliction that this man had known. Jesus knows that sin is the root cause of all of this. And he deals with it with a compassionate word. Be clean. Be clean, Jesus says. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. This man, once riddled with a disease, is is now clean. This is truly incredible. The barriers that left this man cut off have now been broken down. The outcast has been brought back. He's been restored. And you know, the scriptures, they, they view leprosy as a picture of sin. Because sin is something that defiles and makes us unclean in the sight of God. This is something that is true for each and every single one of us. And like leprosy, our sin goes deep and it affects our whole person. It puts a barrier between us and God, which, humanly speaking, cannot be reversed or overcome. We're cut off from his presence forever without hope. And for anyone listening this evening who does not have their faith in Jesus Christ, then you are in a worse position spiritually tonight than this man ever was physically. I wonder, does that describe you, friend? Do you know that without your trust in Jesus, that you are cut off from God, that your wrongdoings and failures, your sins, leave you separated from him? Do you see your sorry state tonight and realize that you can't go on as you are and you need to be forgiven? If you're honest enough, then, friend, you know that this describes you, but you, like this leper, can come to Jesus Christ this evening. You might be thinking even that this sounds very wonderful, but it's not for you because you're too far gone. Nobody else knows the things that you've thought and the things you've said and the things you've done that you're ashamed of and you're not sure if Jesus would even want to bother with you because of those things. But friend, this evening here, 
the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to you. He's prodding your conscience this evening through his word. And he's saying to you that he's willing to cleanse you. He really is willing. He isn't someone who is unapproachable. He's not like some big celebrity or member of the royal family who can't be accessed unless by appointment only. No, you can come to Jesus this evening. You can come to him. And he, with all authority, is willing to cleanse you from your sin. Your open sins. Your secret sins. They can all be forgiven. He's willing to forgive you for all your shortcomings. If you'll come humbly confessing your sins. And putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That he's died on a cross in your place. That you might not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is willing to cleanse you from your sin. That's the first thing Jesus says to all of us this evening. And then secondly, in verses 43 to 45, Jesus commands us to listen to him. Jesus commands us to listen to him. And so far, this is a very happy story, isn't it? Jesus has willingly cleansed a man who had been so terribly impacted by an awful disease. His life has been transformed for the better as the outcast is brought back into society. And so Jesus tells him to go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now again, you can read all about what Moses commanded in Leviticus 13 and 14, where the law said you've got to go to the priest. He's the one who's qualified to declare that you really are clean. That's what he must do. And so Jesus tells him, go and do that. Go and do that so that you can give thanks to God for this wonderful deliverance, that you might rejoin society again. This is what the Old Testament says that this leper should do. And Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so he honored it by telling this leper to go to the priest. But this isn't all that Jesus says, is it? Because he also sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. It's quite adamant from Jesus that, isn't it? It's rather abrupt. This man is absolutely not to tell anyone about what Jesus has done for him. This strong warning is actually a very strong warning from Jesus in the original. It literally means a snorting or flaring of the nostrils. That is how much Jesus meant what he said. Seriously, don't tell anyone what has happened. It's no nonsense from Jesus, isn't it? But why does Jesus say this? Why does he not want this man to speak of what he has done? It's not too dissimilar to, to this morning, is it? Again, Jesus is keen to, to guard the true identity of who he is at this stage. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. He doesn't want a false following that thinks he's going to politically overthrow the authorities. He doesn't want his mission to be diverted off track and hindered at this early stage. I think there's certainly truth in that, but more than that maybe is that this leper has only, if I can put it like that, he's only seen Jesus the healer, hasn't he? He hasn't seen Jesus the king. The only people that Jesus tells him to interact with about this is, is the priests. They're the religious professionals of the day, and as I said earlier, they believe that healing from leprosy is as difficult as raising someone from the dead. So if they really believe that, then when they see this man, they think, wow, surely that's got to make you think. As Jesus says in verse 44, it would be a testimony 
to them. So surely they realize, well, this has only happened because God has done it. And that God has been involved in this miraculous healing. And if they don't believe that, well, then Jesus is saying, well, this will be evidence counted against them for refusing to recognize that Jesus really is who he says he is. But so sadly, this man does the exact opposite of what Jesus commands him to do. He disobeys Jesus. Mark tells us that instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. So he doesn't just tell one or two people. He tells everybody he meets about what has happened. What would he have told them about? Sure that there was this great healer called Jesus that had cleansed him of his leprosy. But it's not likely that he tells them about the coming of the kingdom of God and that he has met King Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, his disobedience to the command of Jesus shows us that he doesn't recognize Jesus to be who he is. He doesn't really recognize him to be the king. And we must take this really seriously, brothers and sisters. If we are true followers of Jesus, then we will listen to him. We must listen to him because he commands us to. Not in a harsh way and not in an oppressive way, but in, in a gracious way, in a sovereign, wise way. Because Jesus the King knows us and he knows what is good and what is right and what is best. And if we don't listen to Jesus and what he says, then we can end up being an unhelpful witness to our Saviour. We can end up even being a hurdle to the gospel. Now that doesn't mean, of course, thankfully, that the Lord still can't use us. He can't, it doesn't mean that he can't use our failures or mistakes. In his grace, we know he does that all the time. And as happens in this passage, despite the disobedience of the leper, people do still come to Jesus from everywhere, despite the disobedience of the leper. But still, we shouldn't aim to deliberately uh, fail him and choose to not do what Jesus says we should, should we? We should listen to his every word and we should do as he says. And for us now, living when we do, having seen the Gospels reach their conclusion, that means listening to the way he commands his disciples before he ascends to heaven to go and to make disciples of all nations. So actually, we're told to go and tell everyone about this, to go and to declare the unsearchable riches of Jesus to those who don't know him yet. We're commanded to shine brightly for him, to be salt and to be light. We're commanded to, to follow his ways, to be holy, because he is, even though those around us might not follow his ways. And it might be very unpopular for us to do that. We know, don't we, that once we've been saved, we don't carry on as if nothing's changed. Everything's changed, hasn't it? And all for the better. And the one who has lovingly cleansed us is the one who lovingly commands us to listen to him and to follow him. And so I wonder, do you listen to the commands of the Lord Jesus? Or have you become a little complacent in giving regard to what Jesus commands? Do you follow him and what he says in his word? Are you obediently walking the path of the Christian life that he sets out before all of us? You know the answer to those questions. You know in what areas of your life you're finding this particularly hard and a struggle. And so you make sure you ask the Lord... Uh, this week to help you to listen 
to what he has to say, for, for strength to obey his good commands that he sets up for us in his word. Jesus commands us to listen. And here in our passage, uh, the outcome of this leper's disobedience is that the mission strategy of Jesus, if you like, is kind of impacted, isn't it? Because he said he was going to go on to the nearby villages, but we read in verse 45 that as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Jesus commands us to listen to him. If we are to truly be a follower of Jesus, we must listen to what Jesus says. We must listen to the way he directs us to go. We must follow the path he commands for us to walk. For though he is a rescuing deliverer who can cleanse us, he is also the king of kings with all authority. And because of this man's disobedience, though he's now been welcomed back into society, he's now able to enter the town again. But Jesus isn't. He could no longer go in. Jesus and the leper have traded places, haven't they? Isn't that a picture of the gospel? Jesus is already, in the opening chapter of Mark, fulfilling scripture. Here is the suffering servant of the Lord, who Isaiah 53 verses 11 and 12 describe as one who will bear the iniquities of others, which causes him to be Numbered with the transgressors. Isn't that the very heart of the gospel? Jesus comes and shows us that the ceremonial laws about being clean and unclean, those are now no longer needed. He comes and he touches this man, taking on his uncleanness, also that this leper might be made clean and the barriers which excluded him as an outcast are taken away. And yet at the same time, can you see the result? Jesus himself becomes the outcast. An exchange takes place. A, a trade happens. Jesus becomes the outcast that the outcast leper can come home. And as Jesus does that on a small scale here in this encounter, he also does it on a much bigger scale as he comes into this world to accomplish the great rescue plan of God for humanity. As we've already seen, leprosy ruined your life it brought pain and affliction it was a curse in the general sense of the word and Jesus in his compassion healed this man of his leprosy and as amazing as this passage is this evening this whole encounter is pointing us forward to something greater where the greater curse of sin which ruins relationships and brings pain and cuts us off from God and ultimately leads to death is dealt with by the deep deep love of Jesus Christ, who came in compassion to cleanse us of our sin. A great curse afflicts all of us this evening, no matter who we are, because we are sinners who have broken God's law. As we remain under that curse by nature, we are outcasts in the sight of God, cut off from him who is holy and pure, unable to come near because of that great barrier of our sin. But as Paul writes in Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Becoming a curse for us. When the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords went to the cross, he became the curse for us. He took it on himself as he hung there on the cross. He went there in our place. 
dying under the enormous load of human guilt. And in so doing, he brings in the outcast as the barrier of our sin is dealt with and a new and living way is made unto God. You might think that the healing of this leper sounds pretty good when you think of how he would have felt having his old way of life back. His life went back to normal, I suppose you could say. But far better than the healing of this leper who knew his old life back again, is that when you come to Jesus Christ, when you know life in him, through faith in him, and sin is forgiven, then a new life begins. A whole new quality of life. A better life. Eternal life. From this day forward and forevermore. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. And it is a priority for all of us this evening, whoever we are, to make sure that we're wholly trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save us from our sins. Because this disease of sin is the great barrier that is separating you from God by very nature this evening. We all start off this way. And that has been true ever since the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. None of us are exempt from this. And so you this evening, you must come. And you must trust in Jesus Christ. You must come to Jesus as this leper did. But you must put your faith in him. And you must listen to him. And if you have done that, if you have come on your knees to Jesus Christ, seeking forgiveness, asking to be cleansed. If you have repented and believed in him. And you have been to the foot of the cross and seen clearly with the help of the spirit of your need of Jesus. That he really was made a curse for you. And your faith is in him then wonderfully, there is now nothing at all in all the world that can ever separate you from the love of God. There is neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's all because Jesus has said to you, I am willing, be clean. Brothers and sisters, you were once cut off, but now you have been brought near. And so whatever's facing you this week, whatever's going on in your life at this particular moment, you are held fast. There is nothing that will now ever separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ, the compassionate, saving, holy Son of God. And so you will take great comfort from that, won't you, Christian? Be encouraged that you've been cleansed of all your sin, and that which separated you from God can do so no longer. And so as we sing to close in a moment that Jesus stands to save you, ready, full of pity, joined with power, that he is able and that he is willing, and so you don't have to doubt anymore. Friends, think on those words, that Jesus Christ is able and he's willing to save you this very night. He's willing to cleanse you from all your sins. And once you've known that cleansing power, once and for all, from all your sins, well, then life is never the same again. You have a new master now, and you will live for him. You must listen to him as he commands you to in his word. So will you stop doubting? Stop doubting a moment longer. You can come tonight as a poor sinner to Jesus. You know that you're weak. You're wounded. You know that you've failed. But Jesus stands ready to save you, and none but Jesus can do sinners good. So come to him tonight, won't you? Don't leave it any longer. He's able and he's willing. So doubt no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cleansing power of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Thank you for what you have shown us in your word this evening, that anyone can come to him and know forgiveness for all our sins. Would you help each of us listening this evening to do that? Help us to come to Jesus and trust in him and to then listen to everything he says. Help us to be obedient to the good and the wise commands of your word that are for our good and for our best and for your glory. Please help us to respond to your word in faith and in worship this evening and in the week to come as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.